Hello and welcome to Bombatho, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast. It has been a frantic weekend in La Liga, full of big games and not least big games involving big Scandinavian players. So let's get stuck right into it. Alexander Jonsson, you're finally in your apartment in Vigo. I am. And to make the occasion, I am in my Villarreal shirt because this month is the Santi Casorla month. Yeah, should we explain this to uh, to the, the the listeners who maybe don't have <laughs> uh, don't follow our inside jokes to the the minutia every week? Yeah, so on the thirteenth of December it was Antika Sorla's uh, birthday, which means that on my little wall calendar that I have, I have a player each each month, and it's a player whose birthday is it's Antika Sorla on it. So uh, so then. You came up with the brilliant new name of Santa Casola because his birthday is on the 13th of December. Yeah, which uh, is also Santa Lucia. I don't know what that is in English. Saint yeah, Lucy, Saint. maybe? Anyway, it's the patron saint that day. And in Sweden, that's a big special festive occasion for people. So there are a lot of songs about Santa Lucia and there's a ceremony that happens all the time uh, with candles and whatever. You don't need to know about that. The point <laughs> is, Santa Cazorla coincidentally happens to have his birthday on the same day as Santa Lucia and his name sounds quite like Santa Lucia so you can sub in Santa Cazorla to all the Santa Lucia songs. Got it? Yeah? Yeah. Should I? Oh, everyone yeah. should do that in Sweden now. Please. Yeah. Thank you very much. So let's turn to the actual football that before everyone else switches off. Okay, uh, then. We also say that against Barca, I guess is probably the biggest game, I think arguably the biggest game in terms of like Scandinavian footballers in La Liga this season against the, the highest standard opposition because you've got the two best, uh, well, the best from Sweden and the best from, from Norway against the best in the league, the reigning league champions. I thought this game was awesome. Like I really, really, really enjoyed it because you have two teams that just want to attack all the time. And it made it really open and it was also pretty even the level between them. Did you enjoy it? I definitely did enjoy it. Um, I think in general, Real Sociedad this season is a very enjoyable team to watch. And when they're up against a team like Barcelona that plays the type of football they do, you just reach another level of that. And we talked a little about it when they played against Real Madrid that I think we felt that some some Real Sociedad players, you could there, there you could actually see that they are quite young guys and might not mm-hmm. have the, the same experience and was a little bit struck by the moment. Uh, then it was in Bernabeu as well, needs to be pointed out. Now they were at Anoeta. But in this game, it, it felt like they, they had got past that. They, they didn't get that same kind of thing against Barcelona. And we actually got to see what Real Sociedad can do against one of the better teams in, in the league. Yeah, I think it probably helps. You're right as well, actually. It helps that they were at Anoeta against Barca because there's always that sort of feeling in the air that especially against Barca at that ground that you can take something against them so maybe that gave them a little bit of extra confidence but I thought that in contrast to the Real Madrid game which we talked about Martin Odegaard played like Martin Odegaard which was great to see he really stood exactly. up and received the ball and, and really was ambitious in how he played and I thought it was for anyone who maybe a Real Madrid fan for example who hasn't seen all of his games this season if they just turned on and saw this game against Barca they're probably thinking okay here we go we got a player here who can really make a difference against good teams in the future. The, the other person that goes without saying who we should uh, talk about in some sort of detail is Alexander Isak, who actually before this game, um, I was surprised he started. And before this game, I thought that, oh, I'm a little bit worried about Isak now because it's, you know, it's really hard to come in as a substitute late in games all the time. And you're expected pretty much as a striker to score a goal if you're going to make any kind of impact. And then the longer you go without doing that, the more people start to think, oh, OK, let's see. But... He was given a start, which is a, a, a really big confidence boost for him, I would think, 
full stop when you're starting against Barca. His style of play made perfect sense to me why he would play against them because I think he's better at, in terms of like pulling away from the last man, sprinting behind a defence. He's better at that than William Jose, who has different qualities. I also thought that for the first time, his link-up play is starting to look like it's a little bit more in sync with the players around him because he plays in a different way to the other striker that they have, Real Sociedad. So it feels like Lariala may be adapting a little bit more to his game, which is all really good. And then the other thing is, just as he's about to be to be taken off, to be substituted, he gets a goal. And it's not the most amazing goal he'll ever score in his life, but it's a great striker's goal at perfect timing. So overall, a really, really good afternoon for him. And it will be really intriguing to see how this changes the possible development now to his uh, his stature at Real Sociedad, whether he has more chances starting in the future, I don't know. I, I think also what it shows that he starts in this game, as you say, his, his type of player that his suits better than, than William Jose in a game like this. And I think it also shows that for Imanol, maybe it isn't a clear cut, this is my first choice, this is my second choice. It's more about which one of these suits best for which game. And for Real Sociedad, it's a complete luxury to have two players that are that good and are in that form that both Isaac and William Jose has been this season. Because it means that you can, can really take the best player per game instead of being like, okay, well, maybe this player would have suited better in, in the style, but this player is the one who's informed. This is the player we will go with. So I think that is a big luxury for, for Real Sociedad and it just gives them this extra level that they can play in different ways depending on what opponents they have on, on the other side of the pitch and that they have not just in the attack, but in so many positions, it feels like there's everyone really feels like they are in form almost at, at Real Sociedad at the moment and you can do a little bit as you like uh, and it will work out quite uh, quite amazingly especially when you have other guard come completely being fantastic in the middle it's such good timing as well because the cup games are coming up soon as also so the squad players who maybe haven't been getting as much minutes or haven't been getting as much starting football as they would like can are probably going to get a chance to play some more football and if they're all feeling confident if the squad's feeling confident then there's more chance of building that kind of momentum and moving forward right now it just feels like it, it, it couldn't be any more positive around Real Sociedad and you can understand why I mean they're still playing this amazing football I mean someone said uh, someone wrote on Twitter I can't remember who it was but it's such a good point is that if you look at the way that a team starts their moves how they build from the back it tells you everything about how they play and the fact that Real Sociedad against Barcelona man and most teams don't have the guts to do this they just got the ball down and they played it out every time and kept looking for the best option okay like sometimes Barca pressed them and maybe caused a few problems but they kept doing it and they kept doing it and they got rewards for it and I don't know, for me, they're by far the, the standout team of the league season so far because they've way exceeded my expectations. I thought towards the second half of last season, they, they did well to steady the ship and sort of provide a platform. But I mean, no one could have foreseen this coming. This is a different level of football from them. I also want to point out Imanol here a little bit because last season, especially at the end of last season, I was I was one criticizing him a lot and I think he got a lot of criticism in the local press in, in San Sebastian as well because they're, even though they were getting the results, it wasn't very impressive on the pitch and it felt like they, they were getting the results a little bit by luck and, and there was quite a few things that, that you could feel the immaturity in the team, you could feel like they were missing a leadership both from the coaching point of view but also on the pitch and no one had really taken this spot where, where Sabi Prieta had been before. I think this season, Imanol has been very, very impressive and he, he deserves a lot of, uh, of credit for what Real Sociedad have done so, so far in the sense on how he's played the players. And also we need to 
I said this many times, but we need to remember that this is one of the youngest teams in La Liga and still they are one of the teams that play with the most maturity match after match. And it's so consistent. It's not just one game here, one game there. It's every game. And to, to make these players reach that level, I think is really, really impressive. And also the signings, as we talked about before, they did this summer has been completely key. You've gotten that leadership on the pitch now with other guard taking some of it. Also having a much more experienced player in the back with Nacho Montreal, who I think has been, been a key for them as well and all these small things that you don't really think about, more the psychological things maybe, that last season was a huge problem for them, even though they had a player like Goyar Sabal, they had Vilan Jose, who sometimes was extraordinary and sometimes he has disappeared out of the games. Um, and just seeing that change from Real Sociedad at the end of last season, even though they were getting the results, and Real Sociedad at the start of this season is really impressive and I think Imanol deserves a lot of credit for that. I think that's a really good point because as journalists, we have a, a massive tendency and coaches will tell you this to look at players as like robots, you know, that you just give them a formation, you give them a way of playing and you teach them and then they go. But actually they're human beings and they need to feel confident. And if you're, especially if they're young human beings who don't have that much experience, to be able to convince them that they can play this really difficult style of football and that they can play it against a really difficult opponent the way that they did says a lot about their coach. So yeah, and it's, it's a really, really positive so far for Imanol. And a really great story as well, because it's someone who comes from within and does this. And we've so, seen so often how a coach can be promoted from the academy or brought in as a sort of temporary solution, do well, and then are given the long-term job, hello Manchester United, um, and it all goes to hell. So it's worth shouting to the roof about what he's doing because it's really good. Um, and then speaking on the subject of confidence, I guess, and continuing the Real Sociedad success story to some extent, uh, Antoine Griezmann, probably his best game since he's been at Barca, I think. Overall, he looks a lot more in sync with his teammates. And that's like continuing a trend that's been developing over the last few weeks. I thought his goal, I don't know about you, because I know you, you watched him back in his La Real days. His goal reminded me a lot of the kind of goals he used to score from them because he comes in with a lot of pace from behind the lines, from the left flank, and then a really nice finish. And I want to see more of that because I've always thought that the way he will work at Barca in a bizarre way is not the more sort of complicated, involved style of play that he had at Atletico, is for him to go back to a more sort of tactical role um, and understand what his role in the team is um, and develop from there. And it seems like he's finally getting it. So it's, it's been a good good weekend all around for him. Maybe what's being back at Anueta that made him play like when he did, like he did at Anueta. Yeah, exactly. The fans were not particularly nice to him, mind you. And uh, let's move on to, to another point that's been come quite a talking point, I would say, on especially on Twitter the, this week, and it's the talk about VAR, where I think at least four clubs I've seen so far have been complaining about it. Barcelona started with filing an official complaint uh, about the misusage of VAR during uh, the game against Real Sociedad. Then Usasuna realized, oh, you can do that. So Usasuna did it as well. But then what annoys me the most is not those two th things, because I think like if Sure, you can always send a complaint to the, to the league if you, you're not happy with something. Maybe they will go through with it, maybe they won't. But I, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that part. Uh, but then we have two clubs. We have first Real Sociedad answering to that complaint by Barcelona. Barcelona sent, as I've understood, they've only sent it to the, to the league directly. The, to the federation. To the federation, uh, exactly. But then Real Sociedad answered to that by posting stuff on Twitter and photos on how... This was actually the correct decision, blah, blah, blah. You need to look at this, this angle. And then yesterday after their game, Celta de Vigo posted first a video uh, from their game against Mallorca, which to both in Real Sociedad and Celta's uh, 
point i agree with both of their points i just think it's the complete wrong way to do it yeah, but so basically matter. for the celtic game against mallorca mallorca players played rather rough there should have been quite a few penalties that the penalties that were shouldn't have been penalties ne- neither of them to be honest but there should have been others and there should have been some more red cards the, the referee completely lost the game quite early uh but so celta posted a video of all the, the wrong things that happened. Then they posted another video because they realized that they didn't cut all of them. And then they posted a photo showing that the penalty against them shouldn't be a penalty. Um, and they also used, uh, used hashtags against VAR and stuff like that. And for me, I don't know about you, but for me, like I said, that sending a complaint to the Federation, do that if you like. Make a mm. statement on your website if it's, if it's a huge yeah. thing, if it's something that's really, really against you and you feel you've, you've been really unjust. But to start discussions and debates on Twitter from the official handles of the club, for me, it's actually, even though, like I said, in both these cases, I think both Real Sociedad and Celta are right, I just don't think it's the way to do it. I think it just paints a bad picture of the club. It makes the club look worse than actually the the main problem, which might be refereeing in the bar. Yeah, it, it, first, it makes you not look serious, I think. It makes it look like cheapening. And also it shows just how much of it, because um, to be a cynic, and I think it's justified here, it just shows how much it's just about PR for them. Yeah. To be shown, like playing to the gallery, to show their fans, oh, look, we care, and look, we're doing this. But actually when it comes down to it, the, the right thing to do is, as you said, file a formal complaint if you think there is one, or even do what Barca did where you have your portavoz, Guillermo Amor, said in the post-match interviews, that's the person elected to speak for you in the, the situation that you're elected to speak where he complained about the, the decisions. I think that's fine. That's the, that's the standard. That's a professional way to do it. But to start putting out, out like you know video clips and to start with hashtags on Twitter, come on, guys. And what and what also are we here? Social media, we have to like see like what are the different medias for. Social media is about engagement. It's a lot of younger generation being on social media as well. Like posting those things, the only thing you will do, and which the clubs probably know, is start a debate on Twitter. And that doesn't really do anything for in helping you to actually solve the problem. Or if you think VAR is being used the wrong way, that is not what's going to help you. That's just making you look like basically unprofessional. It makes you look a bit like a fan using the official account. And, and for me, it's just, it makes me cringe just seeing yeah. it. Yeah. And the other thing that we should remember here is it creates a kind of pressure or a social pressure on referees that's not yeah. very healthy either. Yeah, and, and that's where, like, one of the reasons I dislike criticizing referees is because they are human beings. It's a really difficult job. Uh, with that said, I do think that the level of Spanish referees is horrible. Uh, I would like to point out when it comes to VAR that I've been a big fan of VAR. I've been supporting VAR. Uh, and especially, I think it was really good during the, the World Cup. It was used in perfect way during the World Cup. But in La Liga, VAR has not worked at all. I think that the level, it's a confusion on how to use it and it's been used different in different games all the time, which actually makes it doesn't really, really work. So I understand that the clubs are frustrated. We have a lot of waiting time in a lot of games where we just have to wait and wait and wait and wait for the VAR decision to be made. Um, And it's just been affecting the game in so many wrong ways. Um, I like the idea of VAR. I don't like the usage of VAR, especially not in Spain. So I can understand the frustrations of clubs, but there is different ways to go about it. And I just don't think the right way to go about it is uh, to go to your social media and start posting it there because it creates a, a wrong environment. So staying on the subject of Celta against Mallorca, but more on a footballing point, which is what we're here for, I guess. First of all, 
that's quite an important point from Mallorca. I think, uh, to be honest, I have a double check, but you'll know, I think it's their first point away from home this season. Uh, Celta still have only one win in five under Oscar. I get the impression you're still pretty confident about them, or am I wrong? Are you beginning to worry? So, I agree with Oscar. And Oscar said after this game that this was the best game that Celta's played under him. Uh, and I think the result does not really show show the game at all. It shows... Again, we're Celta's biggest, biggest weaknesses, which is the defense. Uh, the second goal from Mallorca, which meant 2-2, came off the Celta had been completely dominating the second half and been playing actually really well, I'd have to say, uh, especially in contrast to how they've been playing previously this season. Uh, and it came from basically the only shot on goal that Mallorca had that entire half. Uh, and it again came from mistakes from, from the Celta defense. So that's where why it ended 2-2, I would say, in many ways. And also, as we were saying a little bit before, it was a very rough game from, from Mallorca. And they should probably they got one sending off. There probably should have been more. Um, uh, and it wasn't the most most beautiful football in that sense. If you look to, to Oscar and what he's doing with Celta, I think this was a game where uh, at least I saw quite a few changes and positives. One was Rafinha. Uh, he was the standout guy for me in this game. The last game against Leganes, I think, was one of the first he played coming back from injury. Um, and he was really, really bad. So he was eventually subbed off quite early. But in this game, you didn't have Denis Suarez. Uh, so instead, Rafinha kind of became the key player in that sense, came in and Played actually better than Denis Suarez has been playing in the last couple of games. He had a lot of will. He created a lot. He was part of basically everything that, that Celta did. I still feel that Rafinha is not at Rafinha level yet, but he's kind of getting there. And, and the will and determination that he was showing, I think, was really, really important. But what is the interesting thing here, I think, is that Oscar decided to play with a double pivot with mm. Lobotska and Okai. And what that did, it gave Lobotska a, a bigger free space than he's had in any games this season where he was moving all over uh, in a way that he hasn't really been done before and just became more free in his movements and that created a lot together with with Rafinha and then you had the the side of Rafinha uh, Olasa at the back who's been one key one of the better Celta players in the last few months and uh, Sisto on the wing that, that was working really well and where Celta created the most things during this game. So even though we had to remember that it was against Mallorca, who isn't, probably isn't one of the best teams in La Liga at the moment, but you see intentions, you see things happening and you see them actually figuring stuff out and how to move and how to start creating things. And Celta were creating a lot of chances, especially in the second half. Um, and it was a lot of unluck that, that they didn't score more. They had two or at least one free that should definitely have been a penalty uh, where the Mallorca goalkeeper came very hard on uh, on Lobotska and so on Lobotska and so on uh, so I think in, in, if you like really look at the game it's easy to look at the result and there's a lot of Celta fans now that are super frustrated we can't even win against Mallorca and, and so on but if you actually really look at the game and you really look at the changes uh, and especially how big of changes it was from the Leganes games uh, game, I think it's, it's some very, very positive indications. And out of a Scandinavian point of view, to talk a little bit about our great Dane Pionasisto, who is one of the players, or the player maybe, who 
flourished the most under Oscar Garcia, basically gone from being a player that wasn't playing on the front of Skriba because when he was playing, he wasn't playing. He was basically on the pitch, but he didn't do anything. And if he did anything, he was giving the ball away. Um, and he's been really good under Oscar Garcia, and he was really good at this game as well. I think he was it was one of his better games this season. Though there was one thing that worried me a lot uh, at the start of the game, and it was uh, between him and Rafinha. There was a situation where Sisto had the ball, and then Rafinha basically took the ball from him. Uh, in the penalty area, and it looked like a nice move, but you could see the frustration on Sisto, and he was afterwards like gesticulating towards Rafinha and kind of shouting at him, and Rafinha was just ignoring him, uh, and it didn't really feel like the kind of team environment you you want to have in your team. Um, so I was start was a little bit afraid at the start, like what's going on here, and is there a ref between these two players? But as the game went on, I think because they've kept on finding each other throughout the game and playing really well together, it also felt like the tension between them, because there was a tension between them at the start of the game, started to disappear a little bit. Uh, so that was quite interesting to see. But in general, I think uh, Sister did a, did a really well game again. Well, I guess this is probably going to be his last chance as well, because he was almost out and completely frozen out under Franny Scriba, and then he gets a, a final lifeline from Oscar and now gets a real opportunity. It makes perfect sense to me, actually, that he he's a player more suited to Oscar's football, because if you look at the link between Beriso and Oscar, it's much closer mm-hmm. than between Beriso and Franny Scriba. So they're polar opposites in terms of their coaching style. And he's a player who has a lot of quality, and also that in general when he's flourished as a footballer, like at Midtjylland as well, it's been at teams where he, there's been a lot of coaching and yeah. in particular, you know, detail-oriented football, not just, okay, we keep our shape and we defend and then we hit them on the break. So he, he seems like someone who needs that kind of focus from someone who's going to give him the right kind of direction because he's maybe not the kind of player who's going to get himself his tendency to switch off. Uh, but it's, it's nice to see him at least getting regular opportunities because I thought for a long time this season, I don't know about you, but I thought we probably aren't going to see much of Sisto. They tried to get rid of him in the summer we talked about uh, and I thought he would be gone in January, but obviously now it looks like that's not going to happen. So that's a positive from our point of view. Uh, I think we should talk about the elephant in the room, which is a game that's going to happen on Wednesday night, finally, or at least we assume it's going to happen, depending on any last-minute changes, which can never be predicted when it comes to this. So El Clasico, I'm going to try my best to to make it seem like I'm super excited about this fixture. I promise you I really am. It's a huge game. But actually, no, taking all cynicism aside as a little bit of a joke, I do think that this is the first time in quite a while that I've, I've... looked at an upcoming classical and thought okay this actually is the big game like this is the the game that's going to dis- define quite a lot of how the direction of the rest of the season is going to go not least because Barca and Real Madrid are level on points but also because they're both playing a little bit better football than they were a, you know like a month ago uh, how how important is that well I think we already know how, how important that Real Madrid's equalizer against Valencia was where by the way Thibaut Courtois came up to try and help them uh, take the corner and got a really good header away that results in Benzema's goal I feel like I mean you know how the dynamic in Spanish football works but I feel like if Madrid had dropped points then and hadn't taken anything from that game then it completely changes the build-up to this game at the Camp Nou I think the Fede Valverde celebration at that goal I don't know if you've seen it says yeah, quite a lot like that that pure happiness um, is how important that goal was in leading up to this game. And as you say, I think it's it's becoming a really, really important game because knowing both Barcelona and Real Madrid, what happens in the Clasico will uh, affect a lot the mentality of each team and, and how they go into the next game. Uh, and that's going to be super important for the rest of the season. So even though it's just three points, it's actually a bit more than three points, both in the sense that you're taking the points directly from the, the main rival in, in the title race, but also out of a motivational point of view and, 
and how you address the rest of the season. And I think we see that in, in so many seasons in La Liga that whoever wins the Clásico, in many sense, often ends up winning the league. Um, so in that and this season, I think it becomes a little bit extra important just because they are they've been so similar this season in both of them having really struggled at the start of the season and being really criticized and had bad starts. Uh, and then both of them try, kind of starting to find their way. They're, they've been kind of on the same pathway and they are, as you said, on the same points uh, and all of that. And both of them got draws this, this weekend. So I think in that sense, it becomes even more important in, in the terms of, of just the motivational part, like going to the next point of the season, who is actually in a better... Because right now we're not really sure who are in the better form, who are in the better state, because they've been going so close. So if one of the teams, let's say one of the teams goes and take a big win, then that's going to make a huge, huge difference. But even yeah. yes, like uh, on the uh, like one goal win is, is yeah. going to motivationally be like we're actually the ones on top and that that creates a complete di- different dynamic. I feel like from a neutral point of view, if we want an exciting title race, uh, it's actually more in our interest for Madrid to win because their record is so bad in this fixture in recent years that... I feel if Barca win it, it's just going to be that feeling again of, all right, okay, same old, same old, and then Madrid will have that crisis of confidence um, and there's a risk that they fall behind, especially because, okay, taking a point, I'm going to completely contradict myself, but taking a point at the Mestalla looks great uh, going into this game, but then if they lose against Barca, suddenly it becomes, you know, like several more Mm -hmm. points dropped and it becomes like a a run of games where they haven't managed to take three points from it. So in terms of like the unpredictability and the excitement of the the title race, it's probably best for, for... as neutrals to see a Madrid win but it's so hard to predict this game and also because Barcelona has has Messi I mean that yeah. is that is a huge thing and if Real Madrid can beat Barcelona despite Barcelona having Messi uh, and Real Madrid don't have the Ronaldo that they had before they don't have a, a player in in that way I think that also gives you an, an extra motivation and feels like you know just because they have Messi they're not going to win everything um, and we're actually better than than them, so I think in, yeah. in a, as you say, as a neutral, I think uh, for for the league and for the title race, it's probably better if if Real Madrid takes the win. But let's see. Um, on a final point, something that I think we both have been keeping an eye on for obvious reasons. This may well be, as I said at the start of the podcast, the best weekend for Scandinavian footballers in La Liga across the board because we've already talked about. Sisto getting another game. We've already talked about Isaac scoring, about Martin Erdegaard really showing how good he is against uh, Barcelona. But then we also get Daniel Vaz getting another assist against Madrid, his cutback for Carlos Soler. And I think that works out of being he's been involved in two goals and two assists since like the second week in November. So he's becoming a quite important player for Albert Salades. And then Martin Brathwaite scores for Leganes as well. And the thing that stands out for me now is that there's a tendency because you know the Scandinavian countries are small nations mm-hmm. so even just to get a player from from those countries in La Liga is a big achievement but what we're seeing now is that they're not only getting players in, in the league but they're getting players who are proven to be important for their teams which is really nice to see and it's really encouraging and shows that you know Denmark Sweden and Norway there's there's a lot of potential there for the future hopefully that can be exported we actually can make good football players and actually can make players who can play La Liga football. Because especially if you if you take Sweden, I think it's a little bit different in Denmark and Norway, not a lot, but a little bit, is that in Sweden, the Premier League has such a big, it's such a big thing because a lot of people grew up only watching the Champions League, uh, the Champions League, the Premier League, because it was what's shown on TV. So there, there has been for a few years now, generations of players with the dream of playing in the Premier League and also the football in Sweden being very, 
taking a lot from the Premier League. So that's been the kind of type of footballers that Sweden has been creating. And a lot of players has gone and played in England in the Championship and the Premier League. And very few has actually come to Spain because it's a very different type of football. But I think we are getting into a new generation now in, in Scandinavian and, and Swedish football where it's a lot of players. Where La Liga been such a big league and actually been possible to watch even though the Premier League is still the biggest um, in, in Scandinavia to watch. Uh, and I think that creates another type of, of football players. We have a lot more technique coming into to Swedish football and such. So, so it's coming players, Isaac being a very young player, which also indicates this, that there, there's coming a new generation of players that actually can play that type of football in another way than I think the older generation could. So we might be seeing more and more Scandinavians coming to La Liga, and I really hope that's the case. Yeah, I mean, it's a combination as well. Like the, the the fact that more people are getting interested, younger people are getting interested in a broader palette of leagues. And then also it's when, when a player gets a chance, they have to make an impact for there to be that chain reaction. So I think, like I spoke to some Danish colleagues about this last year, but like they talked about how when Krondeli came to Spain, yeah. because he did well, suddenly people realized, oh, wait a minute, there's, there's talent in Denmark. We should start looking to this market. And then that sort of inflated. So hopefully Isaac doing well, Odegaard doing well. Maybe you see like Haaland could be a target for a Spanish club in the future. And there are some very good, I think now, especially in Sweden, technical midfielders of this generation who look much more suited to me to a Spanish style of football than, than an English style where it's more physical back and forth. So fingers crossed. I also have to point out that we need to thank Celta de Vigo and Crondelli a little bit for the, for the Denmark thing because it was um, the... Now I forgot his name, but the old um, Celta sport director who uh, first signed Crondelli became a success. They went back to Denmark when they had to sell him to find a replacement. They found Daniel Vaz. They brought him... Um, and then Celta is continuing that path. They ended up taking Pione Sisto, uh, Matthias Janssen, who didn't really, was injured most of the time he was here. Um, and uh, Jule Sager was also here for a while. So that, that made Celta start to look at the, at, at the Danish market. Then Betis um, signed a sporting director from Celta and suddenly Betis has signed a Danish player in Durmisis. So that, that's quite interesting, like how the majority of those Danish places basically came from one person realizing that mm. hey in Denmark there is, there is actually talent that could suit yeah. uh, our league and uh, so it's like so small things for becoming such a big thing for for a uh, for a country like Denmark to get so many players into La Liga and I think that that opened up as well for looking at Scandinavian countries in, in general to try to find players. Uh, I guess next Monday will be the last one before we have our little mini Christmas break in terms of actual La Liga football. So there'll be a lot to round up and well, I guess we can round up what's happened in general in 2019 in La Liga. It seems like an appropriate occasion to do it for next week's pod. Alexander Jonsson, I wanted to say Merry Christmas, but it feels not quite appropriate yet. But Merry, Merry Santi Cazorla. Merry Santi Cazorla. Santi Claus. Do you know that in his contract he actually has a Santi Claus? <laughs> I'll get my quote. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye-bye. Let's